Chiquampati is quite a, quite a brother. I've been connected with our church for 23 years. God saved him in India. Uh, his father was a military man from the province of Punjab, one of the wealthiest regions of India, breadbasket of the country. Earned a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary. Has uh, picked up 15 languages along the way in his life. And uh, when he got into India, wanting to set up the school system that he had a vision for and the accreditation, they said, we don't accept the PhD that you got from Dallas. It's a theological school. We're not impressed. So he picked up another PhD at North Texas State, uh, of which he now has become a mentor of those that set up doctoral programs really all over Asia, uh, China, uh, the whole Asian basin. He goes and helps other deans of schools set up schools. Here's, his, here's been one of his missions. You do, this doesn't mean anything to you because you grew up in this country. But what is a very common trend, you know, when you want to educate a national, they come to the United States to get educated because we got the best schools. You go to England, but you can't hardly afford them. But guess what? Once people move over here, and after they spend four to five years earning a doctorate, they get to liking America. And so guess where the brain power stays? It stays in America. And they never go back to the country. He went back. He went back. And he's staying, working with a billion point two million people. I want to tell you, God's given us a choice servant. I'll let him tell some of the story. And he better preach as good as he did the first time, or Malcolm and I will start booing. Come, welcome Sequamp Batia. Well, just before I came here from India, <clears throat> my 50th birthday gift, when I turned 50 on October 16, my 50th birthday gift was typhoid fever. And uh, even though we all get vaccinated for hepatitis, typhoid, for everything, I still got it. And what made it worse was that I was in a remote area in the lower Himalayan mountains. And we had a staff retreat, and I was supposed to teach for four days. So first day, I start off throwing up, miserable, fever, and I thought it must be elevation. Those kind of things happen, no problem. So I'll teach for a couple of hours. I'll do, throw up. I'll come back and teach again. My sugar will start dropping because I'm diabetic. I'll eat. 15 minutes later, I'll throw up again. I'll come back. It went on for four days. And uh, finally, I had to come back home, and I collapsed. My wife took me to the hospital, and the doctor said, you know, if you, are not, if you had not been vaccinated, this guy could have died in seven days. And my body was completely drained out of all the energy, attacked my muscles. And finally, they put me on a heavy medication. Everything is cleared, but once you get a typhoid, uh, it takes about a month to three months to get your strength back. And meanwhile, you are suspected of getting other kinds of uh, problems. So I arrived uh, from India last week. My energy has been very low. And again, I picked up some allergies and all that. So Howard family, they've been taking care of me. 
And uh, since yesterday, Rebecca has hotwired me with all kinds of medications. And uh, so the stuff that is supposed to be put me to sleep is waking me up. The stuff that's supposed to keep me awake is putting me to sleep. So somewhere in the middle of my message, if I turn to a different language, or the other 15 languages that I know, just raise your hand and let me know. I need to come back to English. But uh, I'm hoping that I can last through this morning. I was told that the rules of time do not apply to this service. I don't know why, but uh, uh, we'll do justice and try to finish it on time. Let me quickly go through, as uh, Brother Malcolm Lee has asked me to share a little bit with you what's happening in ministry. Is it sliding down? Is it giving echo? Um, when in 1991, when he started supporting us as missionary, I went back to India as one single person working over there. Over the period of time, the Lord has allowed us now that the ministry has become a platform. We have 24 full-time employees in India, and we have as many as um, 20 others which work part-time in the ministry. And uh, you have been a part of our ministry all these years, and uh, so we are your extension. You can say to somebody, I'm reaching somebody in India with the gospel, I'm uh, distributing Bibles, I'm planting churches, because that's what you're doing uh, through us uh, and, and through this church. Uh, <clears throat> the overall ministry is called Seek Partners International. Under that, we have four other organizations. And a little write-up is already in your bulletin about me, the background. It's my family. My wife and I have been married now for 23 years. Two daughters, Priyanka and Akanksha. They're 15 and 10. Uh, whenever I show my family photograph, I have to say that my wife is older than what she looks and I'm younger than what I look. <laughs> so that uh, it balances out. But uh, it's just a great joy because everyone in our family is involved in ministry. My younger daughter has, both my daughters are the only Christian in the entire grade in the school. And they have established their testimony, they share the gospel. My younger one has distributed more Bibles at the, by the age 10 than I know of anybody else uh, because she really loves the Lord and wants to share. Seek Partners Ministry has expanded into formal education, non-formal education. Then we also do church planting, Bible translation, Hindi and Punjabi. Then I do consulting with the uh, schools that are created by Asia Theological Association. So the Lord has been blessing and expanding the ministry and some of the major things you want to highlight about is the country of India, as you know, is the second most populated country in the world. But soon we are going to cross China, and India is going to become the most populated country. Right now we have 1.12 billion people. I don't know if you know how big a billion is, because some of you have handled that kind of a figure, so you probably have an idea. But let me put it in perspective what a billion is. If you were born at the same time when Jesus was born, and every minute you are spending one dollar, okay, every minute you are spending one dollar in the last 2,000 years, by now you have only spent about 1.05 billion. In other words, in 2,000 years, two billion minutes have not yet passed. That big is a billion. Only one billion minutes have passed in 2,000 years. If I want to have a plan to reach every individual in India, and I can come up with a strategy that every minute somebody's gonna to come to the Lord, it's gonna take us 
2,238 years to reach whole of India. And after you figure that out, then you have to factor in the 32 new births take place every minute. 32 are born every minute. What are you going to do with them? That big. And I don't know if you know that, on the 31st of October, the seventh billionth child was born in India. The population of the world has become seven billion now. And it's a little girl that has declared is the seventh billion child that's born over there. It's a huge world, huge population. So what we do is when we look at India, the first thing that comes to your mind is people, people. Some of the pictures didn't come clear, but that's a train ride on the left side of the bottom. Uh, people riding. This is, ask Pastor Philip and Carolyn. I took them to one of these crowded places in India, and he lost everything, his wallet, his money, his driving license, and all that. He said, what happened? I said, well, some people just touched you. That's it. <laughs> because if you want to see people, India. This, uh, once a year, there is a festival takes place where uh, 500,000 married women come to ask for the blessing of a child. And this shot is taken at that place. Every 10 years, the world's largest religious pilgrimage event ever happens in India is called a Kumbh Mela, where 10 million people gather at a time. Over the period of time, there are going to be 100 million people come, but at a time, 10 million people are there in the city. And there's some Hindu priests who are celebrating that function. Our focus is only the northwest of India, the top little corner, the most neglected, the most needy, which covers about 160 people, uh, sorry, 160 million people, because that's all we are able to focus. If somebody comes to you and says that I have a plan to reach whole of India, just laugh and walk away from that. 160 million is a huge number of people that we're trying to focus uh, with the ministry that we have. One of the things that we were able to establish after many years of ministry is a Bible college that offers accredited theological degree. That's the only one in the whole of northwest west of India. None has been there before. And we give them a quality education, proper board, proper facility, proper library, proper infrastructure, and it's like a reputed school uh, for, of, of any caliber. Next one is a non-formal training, which we do through our pastor's conferences. And earlier this year, Pastor Philip was um, one of our speakers. Carolyn was speaking over there. And this is, uh, we reach out every year in February, a large group. Then throughout the year, I do a small ones as a follow-up. I do about six of those with the smaller groups in the regional areas to minister in a non-formal setting. Another major accomplishment we've been able to do is to come up with a brand new translation of the Bible in Hindi and Punjabi language. The Hindi Bible that we use right now was translated by William Carey in 1818. And since then it has not been revised. There have been other Hindi translations from English to Hindi, but for the first time we are doing it from original languages, from Greek and Hebrew into Hindi and a study Bible. This is a monumental project. I was very um, glad that last year we were able to release the um, uh, Hindi Bible, the New Testament, which we are doing it for International Bible Society and has been accepted all around the world as a, as a standard Bible. The translation department has expanded. We have a Punjabi Bible also happening, and it's a great joy that we're able to do that. I also do seminars for the accrediting agency, Asia Theological Association, and two outside of India, 
but four of them in India, training the academic deans, because my PhD in higher education administration it is to talk about how to do theological education, how to do adult education. So those, that's what those seminars are that I do um, for them. We have evangelistic work among the Sikhs and others. I have a number of tracts that are written, we distribute, we evangelists who work over there. We have church planting effort going on. We plant over four churches a year. And uh, all that I'm going to share in detail at lunchtime so you can get to know a little bit more. But uh, some things we can't talk, we can't publish more. But this is what the Lord has been doing uh, through the ministry. And you're partner to that in, in uh, supporting us and uh, backing us up what's happening over there. So we want to thank you uh, for your partnership over the years with us. Will you please stand with me as I read a passage as we look at what I'm going to share this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 22, a backdrop to what I'm going to share. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus shakes his head and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brethren. Please have a seat and turn with me to the book of Matthew, Chapter 4, as we are going to take a journey, looking at a story. I'm going to share with you a story of a hero. The name of the person is Peter. In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus begins his ministry, and he's beginning to call his disciples, the first set of two people he calls are found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 28. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and diseases. And then he finds these two brothers fishing. And he says to them, he says, follow me, verse 18. He says, verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left the nets and followed him. That was Peter and his brother Andrew. Let me tell you a little bit about Peter. He was a fisherman. The fishermen of those days were not considered very refined, sophisticated, or cultured people. They were hardworking. They were disciplined. But it doesn't matter how much they cleaned themselves, at the end of the day, they still smelled like fishes. And uh, they were not very educated people because they didn't have to. In fact, they were so simple that the Roman Catholic Church used to use a criteria that when somebody from in, within India came to the Lord Jesus Christ and became a believer or converted, they used to give them one of the three names to signify that such and such person has become Christian. And it is always one of the three, John, Paul, or Peter. And then they had little criteria how they used to assign this name. If someone was religious, pious, and uh, out of his uh, search for God, came to Jesus Christ very nicely, they say, okay, call him John. 
If someone came to the Lord kicking and screaming, was rebellious, and uh, had to work hard to get that person towards the Lord's side, they say, okay, call them Paul. But if somebody was a little slow and very simple background, not very sharp, not very educated, and uh, was just kind of barely making it in life, they used to call him Peter. No offense to anybody who's Peter here, because I don't think that's the criteria your parents used to give you that name. That's what was associated with Peter. And right here, when Jesus calls Simon and his brother, I don't think he has any clue as to what becoming fishers of men means. He's not going to figure it out till even after Christ is gone. But he's just so glad that somebody called him. He's just so glad that somebody found him worthwhile to do something. He has heard about Jesus. He drops everything and runs after him. He says, first time somebody has asked me to come and they want to do something with my life, I will go. Peter, a man with very simple beginning, but he's also a man who lands up with some of the most exceptional experiences of life. Turn with me to a few pages to chapter 14 of Matthew. In chapter 14, Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000, the story that's told from verses 13 to 20, 21. And then, after finishing that up, Jesus says to the disciples, you take the boat, you go on to the other side, and I'll follow up. The text says, in verse 25, that during the fourth watch of the night, which is like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus starts walking on water and coming towards the boat. The disciples get scared and they say that it's a ghost. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come, on, come out on the water. <laughs> you know, for a fisherman, who all his life has struggled to stay afloat. The miracle of all miracles for him is when he sees somebody walking in water. I don't think he has figured it out what's going to happen, but what's going on in his mind is, wow, if I could learn to walk on water, I won't even need boat for fishing. I could just stand on water and do my fishing. Wait till I go back home and tell people that I can stand on water. Because this man knows that things do not stay afloat, they sink. So for him, when he sees Jesus walking on water, that's the highest thing he can ever sink. But look at the ironing of the whole thing, that out of all the experiences, Jesus picks Peter to allow him to walk on water. That one miracle he will never, ever forget. Never forget. walking on the water. Turn with me to chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 13 onward, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and they're saying, well, people are saying all kinds of things about you. And Jesus says, what are people saying? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say that you're this, some say that you're Jeremiah the prophet, some say that this. He says, okay, that's fine. Who do you say that I am? He points it to all the disciples. There's a quiet night. 
And verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Only God could reveal that to you. But he is surprised that it's Peter who put it together. So he says to the group, shh, don't tell this to anybody. He's surprised that Peter has figured it out so quickly. But out of all the people, Jesus again allows Peter to make that confession the first time as to who Jesus is. Allows him to have another exceptional experience in life. Walking on water, first time figuring it out who Jesus is, and he makes that confession. Turn a page to chapter 17. First eight verses. Jesus takes Peter and James and John and takes them up on the mountain. And while they were up there at the mountain, suddenly Peter notices that Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. And in verse 4 he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, and three of us are here, will serve you, because this is the highest I can ever come back, come to life to see. This is heaven. I don't want to go back home. I don't want to do, I, want to, I don't want to have anything else in life. Because when he saw the transformed moment, he said, this is it. Again, Jesus picks him up to allow him to have that experience. And then what follows is, Peter gets to hear God himself. The voice of God, like Moses heard, Abraham heard, and God says that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter says, we have arrived. You don't need anything else. God again allows him to have this exceptional experience. Not too far, chapter 17 again towards the end, verses 24 to 27. The issue comes of paying taxes. The tax collectors come, they say, does your master pay taxes? He said, yes, he comes and discusses with him and he says, Jesus, should we be paying? Jesus says, technically we shouldn't be, but let's not offend these people, so we'll go ahead and pay, and pay them. And this is what he says to them. He says, I want you to go out into the, into the lake, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find enough money to pay for your taxes and my taxes. Verse 27, 28. Now Peter, if I was in the position, he said, Jesus, I've been in the fishing business all my life. You do not find money in the fish's mouth. You do not find money there. Otherwise, I would have been a rich man. But again, God allows him to have an exceptional experience. No other disciple is allowed to have that. Man walks on water, sees Jesus transferred, hears God, gets to serve him in an exceptional way by bringing money from the fish and paying the taxes, makes the greatest confession, but still he's a man not only with exceptional experiences, but also heartbreaking failures. The biggest one, in Matthew chapter 26, if you move on, after all these experiences, all the theology that he was able to put together, all that happened, verse 69 onward, it talks about the incident when Jesus is caught, he's being tried, 
somebody points out to Peter and he says, aren't you with, with this Jesus? And you know what Peter says? No, I never knew this man. Another person comes along and says, no, no, you are with this Galilean. You were together. I've seen you together. He says, no, I never knew this man. I have nothing to do with Jesus. Third time he's confronted. He starts swearing in. He says that he starts putting curses. That was 74 of Matthew 26. It may be saying that may God strike me and die right now if I'm telling lie. I do not know this man. Makes you wonder, Peter, what happened? What happened to the confession? What happened to all the miracles? What happened to all the beautiful things you said and saw? He fails. Not only he fails over here, but Matthew chapter 28 records again, but Mark fills in, that when both the Marys went to the tomb on Sunday morning to mom Jesus, they found out that Jesus is not there, he's been resurrected. The angel comes and says, why are you looking for the living one among the dead? He says, just as Jesus said, go and tell his disciples that he will meet them in Galilee. But Mark adds on, he says, just go and tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus wants to see him. God is chasing him, the resurrected Jesus is chasing him to give him a vision to let him know that he's resurrected. But Peter didn't want to have anything to do with it. The story doesn't end there. John records another incident. After he saw the resurrected Jesus, after we had the fellowship, he says to his disciples, the rest of them, he says, I'm going back to fishing business. I'm done with this Jesus. I wasted three and a half years. Didn't accomplish anything. I'm going back fishing. Jesus restores him, revives him, and he says to him that I'm not done with you. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when all the crowd is wondering what's happening with the disciples since they're speaking in different languages, different people able to hear them in different uh, languages that they speak on, they thought that these guys are drunk. Guess who delivers the first sermon of the first Pentecost to begin the church? God chooses Peter. In Acts chapter 2 verse 14, it's Peter who gets up and starts off. He says, men, let me explain to you who this Jesus is and what is happening over here. Peter, a man with simple beginning, exceptional experiences, has a heartbreaking failure, and even when he is in the ministry, it is not yet done. His failures are not done. In Galatians records that where Paul says in chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, that he had to rebuke Peter publicly because he was being a hypocrite. He said, you used to eat with, uh, with, the, with the Gentiles, and suddenly some of the Jewish believers came, and you started distancing yourself. He said, that's nothing but hypocrisy. Even a church leader, a pillar of the church, still makes another mistake and has to be rebuked for that. God is not done with him. <coughs> Simple beginning, exceptional experiences, heartbreaking failure, but he finishes his life on a high note. 
God allows him to write two books, first and second Peter. Wonderful books. If you read those two books, you'll be able to understand in light of what I'm talking about Peter's life, that when he puts it together, when he says, Satan roams around like a lion to see whom he can devour. He knows what he's talking about. He's talking about the chief shepherd that he was looking after us to make sure that we stay under him. Beautiful books. Contributes to the Bible. Not only that, we also find out that when time came for his death, you see the Romans had almost discontinued the practice of crucifixion because they're saying the whole empire was shaken up after Jesus' death on the cross. And after that, the most prevalent way of uh, uh, killing somebody was beheading them. That's how most of the first century disciples died. But they say when Peter's turn came, he chose that he wanted to be crucified. And his request was granted. So as far as we have a record out of all the disciples, he was the one who was crucified. But when they were ready to crucify him, he had another request. He said that I want to be crucified upside down. I want my head to be where my master's feet were. And when he's hanging on the cross upside down, as if for the one last time he's saying, Jesus, you asked me the question and I want to answer it one more time. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And someone has said that there's nothing more painful than the death on the cross is except that when you're crucified upside down. In other terms, Peter died more painfully than even Jesus himself. As you listen to this story, my question to you is that who's the hero in this story? It's definitely not Peter. The true hero of the story is Jesus who takes a simple life like Peter, transforms him with all the experiences, does not let him go even in his failures, and he says to him, if you're willing, I will make a hero of myself through your life. When we look at the story of Peter, you walk away, Jesus is the hero in his life. Some of you know my testimony, how I grew up and what all happened. It was not till I was 18 years old when the, when the gospel was introduced to me and I got my first Bible. It just so happened that the Bible was in English and the person who shared with me, he only spoke English and Bengali. I knew 11 languages, but English wasn't one of them. He said, well, if you want, I can teach you English. We can also study the Bible together. We spent one year learning English, studying the Bible. In one year, I read my my, my uh, New Testament, in eight months I read it nine times, and the Gospel of John, 22 times. Made my commitment, got baptized, got thrown out of the house, came from a very wealthy home, but my dad will have nothing to do with me, won't even allow me a second set of clothes. Landed up on the streets of Delhi. For five days I was sleeping in the parks and in the, in, in, under the bridges. On fifth day, got exhausted, tired, a 20-year-old kid, didn't know what to do with my life. And I said, Lord, I hope not I didn't make a mistake. I hope it was not my stubbornness that I left the house. And that night, as somebody can stand before me, the Lord asked me these things in my heart. That Sukhwant, right now, when you have no food in your stomach, no proper clothes in your body, and no place to stay, 
Can you honestly say that all that matters, that your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name? Can you honestly say that you believe that I will make my grace sufficient for you for all occasions? I had to search my heart that night. The verses that I had memorized began to flash before my eyes. What does it mean to call God my heavenly father? If he can take care of the sparrows, will he not take care of me? A single hair from a head does not fall without his notice. Especially that morning I had read Romans chapter 8, when verse 28, Paul writes that all things work together for those who love him. You come down and says that what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only begotten son, will he not with him graciously or freely give us all other things? I felt as if the Lord was rebuking me that night and saying, Sikwan, your greatest need was protection from hell that's been taken care of. The best I have, I've already given it to you, my son as your savior. Tell me, in between, is there anything too hard that I can't handle it for you? I said, Lord, I rejoice in the fact that I have salvation in Jesus' name. Anything else you bring in life will be a bonus, and you even have the right to take away. I began my journey that night. A couple of months, a couple of years later, when I got an opportunity to come to Dallas Seminary to study, Dallas Seminary refused. They said, your education is not an English medium. You can't take GRE, you can't take TOEFL, you can't come. Seminary allows me to come just for one semester to test it out. I came for one semester. When they looked at my grade, they looked at me, they said, you can have full scholarship, no questions asked, study as much as you want. I finished my THM with a triple major, winning some of the most prestigious awards at the seminary, go back, come back for a PhD. Meanwhile, I've been involved in planting churches, establishing ministry, all that is happening. And when somebody listens to this story, and the only comment they can give to me is, Sikwant, you're smart. I said, you couldn't have insulted me more than that. The only compliment worth giving and worth accepting is, Look what God has done in Sikwan's life. Because with all my smartness, I could have never put together the story the way it's been unfolding. Because the hero of the story, the true hero is Jesus. True hero is Jesus. Pastor Philip sitting right over here. I've known him now for 22 years. There's no way in his own effort, in his own smartness, he could put together and bring the ministry where, he is, where it is today. It has to be Jesus. It has to be. Many of you are here today, busy, casting your nets, working hard to make the ends meet, running about life, and suddenly you hear Jesus says, by the way, make my kingdom and righteousness a priority. Come and follow me. And you say, Jesus, what does that mean? Jesus, can you send me an email with the pros and the cons <laughs> and give me the details of the whole package and let me know if dental is included and then I will let you know if I'm interested. God is still looking for individuals who will allow Jesus to be a hero in their life. 
And he says, if you're willing, follow Jesus. Listen to him. Because he's worth following. He says, I will make a hero of myself through your life and make it worthwhile. That you will shine, I'll shine through you, whether it's locally, in the city, in the state, on the ends of the earth. That's what Christian life is all about. When I began, I didn't know what missionary work was. I didn't know what a theological education was. I didn't know what coming to America was, what going back to things. Are. All I heard, Jesus said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And he also said, just come. You, we will figure it out what that means. When Paul writes to Timothy, the two letters, he gives him all kinds of instructions. Then he drops in a line. He says, consider what I'm doing, what I'm saying. Do it. In due time, you will understand. With God, that's how it works. God says the issue is always, let's start with what I've been giving you to see if you're faithful, and then more gets added to you. You know, today I'm in ministry. Oftentimes I say, I'm in ministry not because... I have this fear that if I'm not involved, God's work will not be done. But it's the other way around. I have this fear that if I'm not in, involved, it will be done without me. The way, we, way I imagine when we go up to heaven and we're standing before the Lord, I don't think any one of us will be saying something like this to the Lord. Lord, you asked me to do something. I didn't do it. And I'm sorry that never got done. No. We'll be standing before Lord with our heads bowed down and we'll be saying something like this. Lord, you asked me to do something. That would have been my privilege to take part in your program for your people on this planet. I didn't do it and that still got done. What a loss to me. What a loss to me. Because the last time I checked, my Bible still says that God is the blessed controller of all things. Nothing is out of control. At the end, things are going to work out the way he wants them to work out. Meanwhile, he gives an opportunity to you and I to make a difference in somebody's life, whether here or to the ends of the earth. That's what life is all about. And it's a natural progression. He says, you give your life to me and watch me make myself a hero in your life. Watch me, and he will do it. Are you this morning willing to give your life to Jesus in a fresh way and say, Lord, make yourself a hero in my life. Transform this life. And especially, you and I have no excuse of our background, of our education, of our accomplishments, even of our failures. We couldn't have failed the Lord more than how Peter failed denied Jesus after all those experiences and God was still willing to work with him. Still willing to work with him. He's able to do in and through us which we cannot even imagine or even ask as long as we are willing to allow Jesus to be hero in our life. Let's pray. Thank you Holy Father for this reminder from Peter's life a life surrendered to you, even though with these ups and downs. I don't know how many times we fail you and we will continue to fail you. But we thank you that you do not give up on us. You give us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. 
But thank you, Father, that you're willing to make a hero of yourself through our lives. And I pray that you will do that in, with this church, that this church will be known where Jesus shines as a hero. And let it be known to the ends of the earth. And we pray, Father, that you do that for your glory, for the extension of your kingdom, and also what is good for your people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.